Hello, and welcome to Mama's Nightmare. Come join us as we talk about anything from moms that murder, family murderers, kids being kidnapped and or murdered, or even being killers, which are all a Mama's Nightmare. I'm Rhonda. I'm Alicia, and we're a mother-daughter duo giving you our spin on these nightmares from a mom's perspective. Today, we're going to be talking about the murder of Elizabeth Olton. I'm Rhonda, a mother of two and a grandmother of four. I work full-time for a well-known app. I'm obsessed with true crime podcasts, shows, and documentaries. I'm Alicia, a wife and a stay-at-home mom of three who just started listening to true crime podcasts, but like watching documentaries and thrill-seeking movies with my husband. I'm the one that suggested we start a podcast. Since we love to discuss these nightmares, and of course, I think people need to hear our opinion on them. For today's nightmare, we're going to be going to Missouri to talk about the murder of a nine-year-old girl and the 15-year-old girl who did it because she wanted to know how it feels. Trigger warnings for this episode are child murder, self-harm, and suicide. Thanks for joining us. Now, go put on a face mask and let's talk about this nightmare. All right, so how are we doing today, Mom? Oh, well, we are really tired. We have not been sleeping well. <laughs> no. So. And then I've only had one day off this week, essentially. I had a three-day weekend last weekend because I covered for a girl, and so I'm just tired. Yeah, well, I don't ever get a day off from these kids, so... <laughs> Yeah, well, it happens when you get to be a grandmother. You do get to take a day off from kids, but um, the old job, I don't give me a day off. So, yeah. Well, are we ready to get into this one? Well, well real quick, we let's go over who we've got new listening. That's right. So, I hear we have uh, a listener in Iran. Yeah, just showed up today. Super excited. Yeah, and one in the United and a new one in the United Kingdom and the great state of Wisconsin. Woo! Go cheeseheads. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you guys all for listening and we are super excited and very appreciative for everything that you guys are doing for us. We are. We're excited with each and every one that we see come up and it's no less exciting every time we hear of a new state or a new country. So thank you so much. All right. So are we ready to get into this nightmare? Let's do this. All right. So this nightmare takes place on October 21st, 2009 in St. Martin's, Missouri, which is just west of Jefferson City. Patty Priest, a mother of three, the children's names are Anthony and Stephanie, and then Elizabeth Kate Olton. She was a nine-year-old girl. Um, it does not say anything else about her father except for that his name is Dale Olton. So my belief is that uh, Patty was a single mom pretty much at this point. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth Kate was born on December 15th, 1999. Um, now, on October 21st, 
2009. It was just a normal evening This for this little family. You know, the children were fighting, back, bickering back and forth. You know how that goes. All of us mamas do. Uh, yeah. Um, and around 5 p.m., one of the neighborhood girls, a little six-year-old named Emma, came to the door and asked Elizabeth to come outside and play. And, of course, the mom is like, ah, I don't think so. I'm fixing dinner. We can't do this right now. Of course, the girls begged and pleaded. And she said, okay, you can go out for an hour. You have to be back by six. Which Elizabeth would because she's terrified of the dark. So, around 6 p.m. Oh, yeah, in October. So, it would start... Yeah, so around in October, it should start getting dark right around then. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was getting darker then. So, around 6 p.m., Patty noticed that Elizabeth wasn't back, so she started yelling for her to come back inside. No answer. Evidently, um, little Elizabeth also had a cell phone, so she started calling her cell phone. No answer. So... Like all mamas, what do we do? We start worrying. And we also call that person's house that our child is at. But when Patty Right. Calls, now, is this, are these houses, are these houses like side by side in a neighborhood? Or is it like, like I live, ours, we've got neighbors on each side of us, but there's about an, probably an acre between us. And on one neighbor, there's woods between us. So I'm just, but the yeah. previous place, we were like side by side. You could reach out and borrow a cup of sugar, you know? Yeah. No, it's not, it's not like, um, the houses are, are spread out. It, there's like, um, from what I can tell, this is a ranch. I actually like mapped it. I Google mapped mm -hmm. it to see where this place was. And it's actually a ranch. Oh, okay. So there's so, quite a bit of space between them. So there's quite a bit of space. There's woods. There's a lot of land in between. But a lot of I'm places to play. Yeah, I'm guessing it's more along the lines of they're just on the same road. Yeah, probably. Okay. Um, so when Patty couldn't find Elizabeth, she called Karen Brooks, which is Emma's grandmother. Karen uh, told Patty that Elizabeth wasn't at her house, and by this point, she started to really, really worry. So after about 45 minutes, she called the police. After calling the Cole County Sheriff's Department, the sheriff arrived in 15 minutes, which is spectacular that they were actually able to get there so quickly. Um... The sheriff, deputy, and Patty went straight over to the last place that Elizabeth went, which was the Brooks house, which they told her that she wasn't there. So then the sheriff started conducting a search party with the fire department, the local police officers. They also had search dogs on the scene. Around 10 p.m., they had over 100 people that came out, and that was not just the official people that was like local people coming in and helping too wow that's amazing that is amazing i mean they they took this very seriously 
it's obviously a small town because it seems like small towns are more apt to have people like that, uh, that many people gather together real quick and in the country like that because they know how dangerous it can be. Yeah. If you're out in the country, like a ranch type thing, you've got coyotes and um, in Missouri, you could have bears. I mean, you could have anything out there. It's got to be, you got to go quick and find these kids if they're in the woods. Yes. So, um, let's see here. I lost my place for a second. Okay. So, Patty never stopped calling her daughter's cell phone, but it was still going, it was still going to voicemail. So, it would ring and then go to voicemail. So, she just wasn't answering. The police officers got the idea to call the phone company and I think they had to get a warrant for it, but they called and got an emergency ping. Do you know what emergency mm. ping is? Where they're going to try and pinpoint the last location? Yes, an emergency ping is where they ping off at the towers to let them know the general whereabouts of that cell phone. As long as the right. phone is on, they can do this. Which this ping generated in the woods behind the house. The woods were very thick and large and the police knew that they needed backup. So they checked the woods and put check-in points coming and leaving, I guess, the town that they're in. And were checking for, uh, they were searching all the cars. They also started investigating all of the sex offenders in the area. They checked bodies of water. They had search dogs uh, for Elizabeth's scent, along with helicopters. I mean, they took this it, investigation so serious. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like they're doing all the right things for the investigation. Because, and especially with it being a small town, you don't think of them. They probably not had a missing child very, you know. So, if ever... Have they ever had one? And if so, I'm sure they don't have them often. So, yeah. The police feared that they had a predator on their hands. And they started to wonder if another child would be taken. Like, they were getting very scared. Wow. That's scary for everybody concerned then. Mm-hmm. So, Thursday afternoon, which is the next day. Um, this is around the 24-hour mark of Elizabeth's disappearance. Sergeant Rice started looking into the last 24 hours of Elizabeth's disappearance, such as who she hung out with, who she talked on the phone with, who was the last person to see Elizabeth. So, Sergeant Rice went to go talk to the little six-year-old girl named Emma. Um, while Emma. While talking with Emma, he found out that Emma did play with Elizabeth that night, and in the yard, uh, they played in the yard and also in the street, but Emma got stuck by a thorn bush. She cried out for help. And Emma's older sister, Alyssa, who was about 15 years old, came to help. Uh, at this, the time of Elizabeth's disappearance, there was, only, um, there was only one child that wasn't accounted for. And that was Alyssa. Oh, no. Now... Emma and Alyssa also have two older, uh, two younger brothers. Well, middle brothers. They are two 11-year-old twin boys. So it's a 15-year-old, two 11-year-olds, and then the six-year-old Emma. The day 
of Elizabeth's disappearance, Alyssa also skipped school that day and the day after. So she became a suspect. Now we're going to go into the background mm. of Alyssa. Alyssa Bustamante was born on January 26, 1994 in Cole County, Missouri. Her parents, Caesar and Michelle Bustamante, were cousins by marriage. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, at the time of Alyssa's uh, birth, Michelle was only 15 years old. So Alyssa's grandmother said that it was love at first sight. She cut the, uh, she cut the umbilical cord. So... The grandmother has been a very big part of Alyssa's life. Yeah. Well, I can say as a grandmother, it is love at first sight with them, too. Yes, it is. Caesar and, Mich uh, Caesar and Michelle were both meth heads and drifters. Um, they moved to California to be near their family, but they were in Missouri at first. So they moved to California. Um, and then around the age of six, Alyssa's mom, Michelle, gave birth to the twin boys. And then a few years later, she had the little girl named Emma. Um, I couldn't get the boys' names except for one of them on the documentary. So, um, Alyssa watched her parents abuse drugs and the domestic violence between them both. Um, her father, Caesar, was arrested and convicted of a felony. And sentenced to three years, not a concurrent long term at Missouri Eastern Correctional Facility. Michelle struggled to pay the rent and landed herself three misdemeanors, criminal convictions of DUI and possessions of marijuana. Mm. And Michelle struggled with her drug and alcohol addiction. Alyssa had to watch her mother overdose multiple times before social services finally called and got um, Karen Brooks to adopt her grandchildren. And that was in 2002. Wow, that's a lot for a kid to go through, you think, you know. And in 2002, so the little one... I forget what her name was that came to get to came to play Emma. Emma. Okay. So this was, this happened in 2009 and she's six. Mm -hmm. So she was like two. Well, that's seven years before when she adopted in 2002. So she must've had, did she have, she must've always had Emma. I'm not quite sure. Emma must've been an infant when she got her. Maybe. I remember them saying that the boys were around three in the documentary that I watched. But um, it Alyssa sounds was as around if, eight. It sounds as if she might have even had Emma after she had gotten them and then just got Emma right away. You know, because sometimes they'll, if they've got drugs on them, they immediately give them to somebody else in yeah. the, from the hospital. Sounds like that might have been the case with her. So Emma never had to Anyway, Emma never had to see and go through what Alyssa or the boys did. Yeah. And the boys were young enough that they probably don't remember it like Alyssa did. So it's sad that she had went through so much. Yeah. 
the grandparents were talking about when they got the kids and they were talking about how like the boys would never sleep in a bed they just fell asleep wherever they were like they never they would punch holes through the wall at three years old like wow. they were very very wild because yeah they had no they had no parents yeah and i guess like you said they wouldn't go to bed they didn't they probably didn't even have a bed and so they just laid wherever and then it's it's really hard to change a kid that you get at an early at a, at a later date i mean there it it can be done and it and it can they can conform but there's something that's in them when they're they go through all that that it's really hard to get it out of them and and at Alyssa's age of eight or so you said mm -hmm. that's they say that a child has formed themselves by the time they're five yeah so well at this time the grandmother stated that she used to take Alyssa to the store and she would act like a toddler she would run in and out of the clothing racks and she'd play like a dog or a cat in public people would just look at her like aren't you gonna do anything because she's you know eight almost nine years old at this point after living in california for a while having some problems Alyssa would have like panic attacks and other problems they decided that they were going to move to st martin's missouri um which was close to jefferson city they moved into a horse ranch and they lived in a ranch style home um, I even have the address if y'all want it. <laughs> it is a 626 Loma, Limo Drive in St. Martin's. This place was surrounded by land and woods. Uh, lots, of lots of areas for the kids to play, which was their initial. They were wanting a slower, slow down life for these kids. And it sounds like they had what they had what we would consider feral children that have just been raised by themselves and they just need all that area to run and romp and get that energy out so that they can, when they bring them back inside for the evenings, you can, they're a little bit calmer. Yeah. Um, so I don't know the, I don't know how old Alyssa was when she started, uh, when they moved there, but, um, I did find out that Alyssa was ranked, Topped third of her class at Jefferson City High School. Also, she was uh, she went to church at the Jefferson City Mormon Church, and she participated in the youth groups and activities. So she was, I mean, roundabout a pretty good girl. They were giving her a well-rounded. They were. They were really trying. It, it seems like they were trying to do the right thing. She seems to, you know, to be able to. Uh, to be the top third in her class in Jefferson City. And Jefferson City is not really a small town. It's a it's a good sized town in Missouri, so or good yeah. sized city. So it had to have been a large school for her to be in the top third. That means she was really bright. Yeah. Um so Alyssa's mom came back to the new house in Missouri and that really affected Alyssa. Because she had to deal with the fact that her mother could not get her life together and she was not going to be taking her and her siblings back. 
Mm. Alyssa cried and broke down with her grandmother. And then shortly after, Alyssa suffered from severe depression. And on September 3rd of 2007, Alyssa attempted suicide by taking a whole bottle of Tylenol, which the paramedics had to give her something, uh, some sort of medicine to help it stop, prevent damage to her liver and other organs, which they were able to do, mm. which is amazing that they were able to get to her so quickly because Tylenol yeah. really does do a, a lot of damage. And Alyssa actually yeah. had to stay in the hospital for two weeks after that. Now, wow. while she was in the hospital, it was found that Alyssa was self-harming and she had over three, over a hundred cuts on her arms. And she also had the words hate and pain marked into them. While in the hospital, the doctors prescribed Alyssa 20 milligrams of Prozac. She was released from the hospital and was admitted into the outpatient program, a place called Pathway Mental Health Center in Jefferson City, Missouri. Alyssa was a patient with that facility from 2007 to 2009. She had three separate therapists while she was there, and she was also diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Alyssa, wow, that's a lot for a kid her age. That's a lot. It is. This, this girl had... It's also terrible that she had three different therapists. I mean, who... Somebody needed to stay with her and be consistent. I don't know if they were all, all like, all her therapists throughout that entire time. Like, they were all with different stuff. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how these right. well, yeah. go. But, um... Yeah, this this girl, I mean, she's she needs help. She needs help. That's that's what oh, I feel so bad for. Her. But um the Pathway Mental Center continued to prescribe Alyssa the Prozac, but they started to increase her dosage two weeks prior to Elizabeth's disappearance. Now, I'm gonna go into this just the tiniest bit. Prozac for from a psychiatrist who stated, it is very common for a teenager, it's commonly used for a teenager, but there is a black box warning about Prozac provoking suicidal ideas, but it is hardly heard of violent tendencies, which I have to disagree because when I looked up, literally I looked up on Google, I just put in Prozac and violent behaviors and this is what pops up so i'm going to quote exactly what this is it says the antidepressant prozac causes dramatic increases of aggressive behavior in mice the day after the drug is administered in the u.s research i have found uh, that have been found prozac has been associated with isolated reports of suicide and criminal violent people so Oh, wow. And then wow. you're giving these to these little teenagers that... They have a hard time controlling emotions anyway. Yes. So, there have been... Um, I have looked and found that there are a bunch of cases that have uh, that they're suing Prozac and 
and that company because of all the suicide, the, the violence that has been happening, which is so sad. But of course, for some people, it works great. Now, there are, um, now about the whole self-harming. A couple of things I believe need to be known is that self-harming is a very serious issue. This affects a lot of our teens. In a lot of cases, it's a sign of emotional distress. Non-suicidal self-injury which is N-S-S-I. <laughs> Hi, Felix. <laughs> <laughs> Felix is waking up, guys. So. Uh, it's uh, more common than you would actually think. This affects kids and young adults from the ages of 12 to 18 years old. Around a third of the population has at least cut themselves, self-harmed themselves at least one time. Even though most would state that they would never even consider committing suicide, they still do it. Now, if you know anybody who needs any help, you can also go to uh, crisistextline.org and you can text a counselor if you need any help with any of that. There are many different state, there are many different reasons for self-harm, which the reason I'm bringing this up is because of Alyssa. It is... Um, I'll just name a couple of them. It is a feeling, it's a sense of relief, a feeling of an, addic of an addiction, a compulsion, which is, um, it, releases, uh, it releases endorphins. It's like a pleasure sensation, which is like a form of medicating. And then yeah. other mental illnesses. Which I don't get that, but I don't understand that. And I think it's just, a matter of the person themselves because I don't understand that. I see that it could release endorphins, but I'm like, uh, hello, ouch, no, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, I'm not into hurting myself. But so it's hard to imagine that that feels good to them. But yeah. I've heard it before in other scenarios where people have said that, you know, it, even some people burn themselves and things like that. I just, I, yeah. it's just hard to, comprehend if it if it if you're not in that and, and it doesn't feel that way for you well from what the grandmother has said about her is that that's how she dealt with things is by pain that's how yeah she, well you she know i didn't deal with her own emotions so she would just deal with the pain well i know i've heard of kids that like well even some autistic kids that will just they sit and just bang their head on the wall or bang their head on the floor to the point that the parents have to put padding down and things like that because these kids have had concussions and things like that. They, it doesn't affect them. Some, some people pain doesn't affect the same way it does others. Yeah. I'm a wuss when it comes to pain. So I get a little scratch, which my kitten scratched me the other day. Cause I was playing <laughs> with her and I was like, okay, I can play with you no more. That's fine. Okay, wah. Felix, I've got cuts all, I got scratches everywhere. I know. And it doesn't matter if I play with them. He attacks me anyway. Yeah. Okay, so now we are going back to the present time of the 2009 with this case. So, Sergeant Rice interviewed Alyssa, and she was very calm, and she answered his questions, and she said she had no idea where Alyssa was. 
and she thought that she just went home. The sheriff wasn't truly convinced, so they investigated who was the last person to call Elizabeth, and lo and behold, it was Alyssa. Now, this was just enough to ask. They did not get a warrant, but they asked the grandmother if they could search the property, and she agreed. They went straight for Alyssa's room. And this dis this was the most disturbing things. There were outline there was an outline of a body drawn on the wall, and next to it was her little sister's name. Inside the drawing was what looked like bullet hole bullet holes, and there was poems on the wall. Some of them it looked like it was drawn in blood. I mean, this was definitely a cry for help, and I don't know how the grandmother is just not paying attention to any of this. How do you not know that when it's in your home? Right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, and, my, I'm sorry, this is my kid's room, but I'm still gonna go in there and check on them. Well, we all go in there to put up laundry or pick up laundry when we've got, you know, something to do or straighten up a, a bed or anything. There, and it's like she's totally oblivious if she's first off because if you know what the room looks like i am not gonna let the police in there knowing that all that crap is on that wall because not willingly they're gonna have to have a warrant right you know oh, no she just likes to draw <laughs> i mean who but, on their, i mean i would be throwing a fit even if my kid just drew a stick figure on the wall because right i had to paint that stuff exactly oh. but um Oh, sorry. Okay. So the sheriff's department found Alyssa's diary and inside of it was the log of the day that Elizabeth's disappearance and it was scribbled out with blue ink all over it. But there was a part that was just left open and it says, I got to go to church now. LOL. The sheriffs also looked into Alyssa's internet history and social media accounts and that was also more that was also disturbing. <laughs> she had videos on YouTube of her trying to convince her brothers to touch an electric fence. Oh my god, these were her trying to get them to do. Yes, this was her trying to get her brothers to touch this electric fence. Why does YouTube allow that to be left on there? I don't know. I don't think it's up there anymore. But um and doing uh, she even did it to herself, trying to entice them to do it, which I believe they actually did do it. And um, she wrote underneath the video saying, and I quote this, this is where it gets good. He, he, he. We get to see my brothers get hurt. Oh. Alyssa also posted on her MySpace account and her YouTube that her hobbies are killing people and cutting herself. She also posted on her Twitter account. I can't believe she has a Twitter account. I don't even know how to use Twitter. But anyways, she posted, Bad decisions make great stories. Mm. See, this is why, people, you need to monitor your children's accounts. Right. Well, Because obviously, Grandma was not monitoring these because surely, had she seen Alyssa trying to get these two little boys to touch an electric fence, 
she would have done something to stop it and taken it down. I mean, just, no. You think. But, you know, I guess in Karen's defense, she thought she was a good little girl. You know, she was going to church and she was third of her class. Third, top third of her class. And, and you wonder, too, why weren't the little boys saying, Grandma, she's trying to make us touch the fence. You know, I mean. But these also, you think back, these were feral children to begin with. They were probably laughing and carrying on going along with it. So, who knows? I don't think think they really knew, like, what they were actually doing. I mean, they were still younger than her. So, I mean, that was their big sister. Right. (sighs) But this is the, the biggest warning sign, and I really wish somebody would have said something at this point. But, um... On Alyssa's 15th birthday, she told her friend Jennifer, and I quote this too, I just wonder what it would be like just to kill someone and to see the life just drain out of someone. I wonder what it would feel like, that type of power, to take that away from someone. This was also before Elizabeth's disappearance. And then also in her diary, she wrote, and this was just right before Elizabeth's disappearance. She wrote, and I quote again, if I don't talk about it, I bottle it up and then I'll explode. Someone's going to die. With all this information, the sheriffs asked for Alyssa to come in to be interviewed once again. So, I mean... This, this girl has so many, she has so many things, so many things that were like red flags. There are a lot of red flags and the girl that she told this to on her birthday should have turned it in. But again, we know that teenagers want to keep our, their secrets from the parents, you know, anything that comes up, they, that somebody says they don't want to, they don't believe it and they don't think, and, and as an adult, had I seen that whole somebody's going to die thing. Okay. How many times have we ever said that where we get aggravated and I'm like, okay, somebody's going to die. I don't mean it. I'm not going to kill anybody. So in a defense of a grandmother who here we go is a grandmother. First off, she's not a mother. And, and I, you know, we've talked about this before in our lives that there are things that the kids do and, you get on to him and I'm like he's precious just leave him alone but if it had been you that was doing it at the time I would add to get on to you I understand that you as a parent have to do but me as a grandmother I'm like he's so cute leave him alone he's just little yeah and you would have whooped my butt but which is (laughs) I would have whooped her butt but these are and that's the difference between a grandmother and a mother and this is why grandparents it's harder. I'm not going to say grandparents shouldn't raise a child because if something was to happen, I would take my grandkids in in a heartbeat and raise them. And I wouldn't want anybody else to do it. But it's, it's one of the reasons why it's harder for grandparents to raise children because we still have that disconnect. We didn't, we didn't actually birth them, but we love them. And it's just, it's, it's just hard to, you know, 
you want to look at them as they're just they're precious and and we've raised our children and we know how precious and fleeting that time is even though in the when you're in the moment of it you're like this is never going to end they're going to be little forever i'm never going to quit you know so I feel for this grandmother too, as much as we want to kind of say, I don't. Why didn't she see the signs? Well, I mean that's just like a parent themselves. I mean sometimes you don't see this. You don't. You don't see what's right in front of you until it's gone. Until you look back and you're like, oh, oh, that was a sign. That was a sign. That was a sign, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean that's Here's true. <laughs> oh, that was. A exactly bob engel had it right here's your sign and we just don't see it sometimes even though it's right there Je jeffrey fox jeff foxworthy jeff foxworthy no it was um it was here's bill engel jeff foxworthy uh, bill engel does it here's the sign they were on a show together oh, yeah, when they did yeah, it yeah he's the uh, you might be a redneck that's right i forgot yeah okay yeah anyways <laughs> back on track Okay, so Alyssa was brought in for questioning along with her guardian, which was Karen Brooks. Uh, the room was filled with lots of silence, which is a tactic used in interrogating someone. They fill the room with silence, helping them squirm, get them, get them all ready. After each question, they, uh, they left the silence for about 45 to 60 seconds. A they Which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. <laughs> it is it, when it's silence. It is, especially for a little girl. I mean, a little teenage girl. You're yeah. Like, oh, I could just. And they're already nervous to be there. Yeah. Nervous. They know something's up, and so I'm pretty sure you know. Hey, when I was getting in trouble, my butt would clench, and I would. Oh, right. Just, just <laughs> staring me down. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what was going on in that room. Um, after each, <laughs> they told Alyssa that they had her diary and they could read the past. Okay, I'm getting a bad rap during this. <laughs> <laughs> She's a good mom. She's a really good mom. But she made, <laughs> she made sure I knew right from wrong, that's for sure. <sighs> they told her that they, that they could read the passage that was, in, that was blacked out. Alyssa then told him that it was an accident, and Alyssa fell. Then the sergeant told her if they did an autopsy, would they find that Elizabeth's throat was slit? And Alyssa said yes. At this moment, Karen Brooks was so upset she needed a moment, and she stepped outside. <laughs> the investigation... I could not imagine. Yeah. The investigation didn't stop, though. The sheriffs uh, recovered the words slit, throat, and stabbed, but nothing else from the diary. Alyssa told the sheriffs that she beat Elizabeth, choked her, and then stabbed her six to seven times before she slit her throat and buried her in the woods. I cannot even imagine. The sheriffs oh my asked, gosh, this is a nine-year-old baby. This is a nine-year-old baby. Like, it's... It's about to get really, really real here in just a minute. So I'm really sorry if this is too much for you guys. But the sheriffs asked her, uh, asked where Elizabeth was, and Alyssa brought the sheriffs to the grave. They noticed that there was another grave that was untouched. It is believed that the graves were meant for her twin brothers. That's what everybody's mm. saying. But in the documentary, the boys didn't think she was a bad person and they loved her 
I mean, they still, they just think that she just, there's a lot going on with her. Alyssa yeah, told, well, I don't know. That's hard to say because they were younger than her and they're, okay. They're like 11, 11 year old little boys are kind of not real with it on what's going on around them. They're kind of like, huh? What? Huh? And so they're just like, oh, but no, nah, she wouldn't do that. They wouldn't believe that she would do it. I'm sure. But she's already done it once, so I'm sure that she could have done it again. Yeah. That's so scary. <sighs> but, um, so Alyssa told the sergeants that that she sent the little she sent the little girl, uh, she sent her little sister to go get Elizabeth. After that, she told her sister to go home, to go back home. Alyssa took Elizabeth back to her home, uh, said that she was going to take her back to her house. She took Elizabeth by the hand and walked her into the woods and said, I have something neat to show you. It's just a, just a little bit further, but to Elizabeth's unknown, Alyssa was armed with a kitchen knife and was also leading her towards her pre-dug grave. Once arrived at the site, the uh, site of the hole, Alyssa began to strangle Elizabeth while facing her and 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 said she strangled her multiple times and then stabbed her in the chest around seven to eight times and slit her throat. The sheriff's office finally got the whole passage from the diary and it read, and I do quote this, and I'm not going to say the whole thing because I am not going to say the curse word this time. It says, I'm just, F I just effing killed someone. I strangled them, slit their throat, and stabbed them. Now they're dead. I don't know how, uh, how to feel at the moment. It was amazing. As soon as you get over the, oh my God, I can't do this feeling, it's pretty enjoyable. I'm kind of nervous and shaky now. Okay, got to go to church now. LOL. Mm. Yeah. Okay. This was 100% planned ahead of time because she had oh, even dug was. the grave. Yeah. Yeah, this is Oh my gosh. I can't imagine that this I can't imagine this mother Elizabeth's mother who now realizes that she sent her child to be killed. Yeah. Yeah. I feel for this mom. Oh. I feel I feel for this mom. I feel for this grandmother. I feel for Emma. I mean, Emma was a plot in this whole thing. The I Right. I mean, she didn't understand it at six years old, but at 11, when she knows about this story, or 12 or 13, when she knows about this story, the guilt she's always going to feel. Mm -hmm. Oh. So, at this point, Alyssa uh, was arrested, and at the time of her arrest, she had over 300 cuts and burns on her body from self-inflicting harm. She was arrested and charged with first-degree murder in the death of Elizabeth Alton and appeared before the judge on November 17, 2009, where she pled not guilty and then was held with no bond. When 
Even though Alyssa was only 15 years old, the judge said that she knew exactly what she was doing, she knew her actions, and she was going to be charged and tried as an adult. I'm sorry, but I have to agree with that. I do have to agree with that. I just, I feel like if there, if people would have seen the signs beforehand, everything would have. Elizabeth I agree. She it. needed help. She could have. She had help needed help. She needed, and Elizabeth would still be alive. And she was saved. crying out for that help. And she people was... were there and just not reading the signs that she was that bad. But yeah. then again, who sees it? She knew what she was doing too. She planned this out. She she did plotted it. So Alyssa was arrested in charge. Okay. Went down the road. Alyssa was arrested and charged with first degree murder in the death of Elizabeth Olton at the time of Alyssa's arrest. She had, okay, what in the world am I doing? Evidently, I have rewrote this twice. Um, Alyssa appeared before the judge and pleaded not guilty, but held with no bond due to her thrill killer, being a thrill killer. Okay, I don't know why this is going back over it. My bad. Okay. My bad, peoples. My bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Okay. Alyssa started her old habit of cutting herself while she was in jail. But she had no other tools but her own hands. So she started digging her nails into her wrist. Oh. Yeah. Alyssa was put on suicidal oh. watch and her lawyer filed a motion to have Alyssa remain in psychiatric institute to undergo evaluations and receive immediate psychiatric treatment. Alyssa's trial started, uh, start date was supposed to be on May 6, 2011, but it was delayed and the delay, um, the day before her actual trial, which was January 3rd, 2012, Alyssa Bustamante pleaded guilty to second-degree uh, second murder and armed criminal action due to the fact that Alyssa was scared that she was going to end up dying in prison. As part of the deal, the secondary manslaughter, Alyssa had to go before the judge and in her own words, tell the court what she did. Alyssa was calm the whole time, saying that she beat Alyssa, stabbed her, and slit her throat. The court would gasp in shock at the 15-year-old girl doing this horrific nightmare to such a beautiful little girl. On February 8th of 2012, uh, after days in an emotional testimony, Alyssa Bustamante finally gave her final statement before the court. And it does state that, and I quote this again, if I could give my life to bring her back, I would. Alyssa was addressing the court, but also to the victim's family. And she quoted again, I quote again, I just wanted to say I'm sorry for what has happened. I'm sorry, uh, for what happened, I'm sorry. Then the judge sentenced Alyssa to life in prison with a possibility with a possibility of parole now Alyssa's grandparents still visit her to this day in prison um but she is up for parole in 2024 
See, I don't know how I feel about that. That's just 15 years. Mm -hmm. Of course, that doesn't mean just because she's up for parole doesn't mean that she will get it. And a lot of parole boards look at the crime and they're like, eh, come back in five years. We'll talk again. They won't even consider it. But then again, with at her age and she's in a prison and she's only, I mean, that she was 15, 15 years served. I mean, she's only in her 30s. That's plenty of time to do a whole lot of more damage to a lot of people. And is she getting the medication and the stuff that she needs the way well, she needs it in a prison? Probably the, not. The medication, but it's also the therapy. I mean, this girl needs right. therapy. She needs help. So much help. Ongoing. But, yeah, Patty, Patty Priest was so upset. They would scream out in the court. Uh, that she should get, uh, she could, she should get life because she took the life of their daughter, of her daughter. I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree. I couldn't imagine being the parent of the kid that was killed in that courtroom and them saying, "Okay, we're going to give her life in prison, but she does have the right for parole." So in twenty twenty four, she's going to be starting to get ready for parole. It's like, uh, no. Of course, she could be like last week's Brenda. Spencer, who is still in prison after all this time, she was 16 when she killed all those children. Or yeah. She didn't kill any children. She killed the two men, but she shot at the children. But maybe, hopefully she'll be like that and still, and not get the parole. But that's no guarantee. I mean, she's in Missouri. They were in, they're in California. It depends on how that it board all, is, you know. Yeah, and It just all depends. Now, Patty Priest also sued Alyssa Bustamante for wrongful death on October of 2015, which Miss Priest settled for $5 million. The original, uh, the original wrong death lawsuit also included the Pathway Behavioral Health Care uh, and some of the employees. Good for her. Because Mrs. Priest felt that Alyssa was under their care at that point. Uh, at the point of when her daughter was murdered and she believed that they should have seen this violent behavior coming and they should have taken precautions to keep her from harming others. But the judge threw out that lawsuit against the pathway. <sighs> but Alyssa Bustamante will owe Patty Priest the $5 million plus 9% interest per year until the debt is paid. And we all know they will never see that money. They will never see that money. But. And and the point of the thing is, is they're, even if they saw, even if they were to get a lump sum payment of $5 million, it doesn't matter. That's not what they wanted. They want their child. That's right. And they're never going to get that. It's and still never take away the, the matter. pain. Exactly. That's the thing about it is she's never going to forget it. She's never going to hold her baby again. She's never going to, you know, she's always going to feel guilty that she let her go because at first she said no. And then she said, okay, go on and play for an hour, but I want you back. And, you know, we all have those second guesses in our lives and those things that we want to have taken back. And there's just no way to do it. And mm -mm. the, the feeling of guilt, I can't imagine what you would feel. Yeah. I looked... I looked um, the murder of Elizabeth Alton on Facebook, 
and I did find that there was a page about her and it looks like it's from the mother and it's pretty much like on her birthday and then the anniversary of her death and Christmas she'll write something very sweet about how she misses her and how she wishes that she got to see the adult that she became and how she was just ripped out from underneath her and it's just it's just heartbreaking I just I can't and imagine this is truly a mother's nightmare right here. Yeah. I mean, you just sent your child out to play with another child. And then you find out that that child, who was only six. I mean, and Elizabeth was nine. But this child, Emma, was only six. So you you feel real safe sending your kid out to play with a six-year-old. Not realizing that her 15-year-old has sent her up there to get your child so that she can kill her. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Is she sent her sister to go get her. Go get her. And then she's like, okay, now you go home. I'm going to take her home. No, she knew what she was doing for the moment. And we have that proof by... Sorry, that's my alarm. Um, we're doing this early and that's my alarm for work. Um, but... So she knew that what she was doing, she'd already pre-dug the grave and had it plotted out and had the kitchen knife with her and knew exactly what she was going to do. Yeah, this was definite. The only thing that I say that this is two victims is the fact that Alyssa was crying out for help and didn't get it when she needed it. And that yes. is the only thing is that I'm saying that she should have been put into something, into a facility to help her from from harming anyone else so that Elizabeth could still be alive. And so that exactly. no child could have gotten hurt. Because self-harm just is is just a precursor to hurting someone else, I feel like. Not always, not everybody not always. that self-harms, not everybody that self-harms goes on to kill somebody else, but there were so many signs with her having bought a, a, a like a chalk outline on her wall and yeah, uh, the, and her sister's name with it and the other yeah. signs more so than just the self the self harming shows that she hates herself right that there is something wrong mentally but all the other signs there were so many other things showing that she was going to hurt somebody else and a youtube channel for god's sake you had on your you had on your account that you kill your hobbies are killing people and cutting i mean that right there should have been a red flag i cannot believe that myspace or youtube didn't catch i can't that. believe youtube doesn't have I can't believe that YouTube doesn't have some way of that they don't monitor accounts and look into these things and whatever you post because we're on, you know, I, I work for an app and the app that we have, they monitor, you know, we have people that monitor and we take things down and shut things down and there are keywords that get flagged and that's how they monitor, you know, and that's how they get monitored and things like that. So for this to be totally looked over by so many people is a crime in itself. It is. And who knows, maybe YouTube is better now. I don't know. I don't ever go on YouTube really. 
Um, yeah. But I hope it's better. And from 2009 till now, you're right. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that old then. It's not. We think of it as just always a being being uh, having been around. But FTC guidelines have changed a lot, so I'm sure probably they're monitoring a lot better now. But the sad fact is, it wasn't being monitored then, and it wasn't. And look what happened. Yeah. Mm. Definitely a nightmare and definitely heartbreaking. This one is a very heartbreaking one. I've watched the video, the documentary, and I cried. I cried watching it because it's just so sad. It's heartbreaking to see these. I mean, it does not show Patty at all in this. And to be quite honest, I wouldn't want to be a part of it if it was my kid. I wouldn't want to be a part of a documentary about Alyssa, but the grandmother, True. the grandmother's tears. It was heartbreaking. But um, this. I know brings... it's got to be heartbreaking for her. And I, it just turns my stomach just thinking about it too. So I, oh. I can't imagine. It does. It's, it's, it's just heartbreaking all the way around. Oh. I'm, I'm glad this one is over with because this one was really, really hard to deal with. But this brings mm-hmm. us to the end of our episode. So thank you for listening to the Mama's Nightmare, to Mama's Nightmare. If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a five-star rating or a comment on uh, Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, Amazon Music, and also Samsung Podcasts. Our comments can, your comment can be anything, just even one word. It just needs to, it helps us create, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) the words help us create an algorithm and helps us get our name out there. Can't talk today. Hit subscribe or follow so you don't miss out on next week's nightmare, where I'll be telling Alicia about, finally, we're going to get some good news. Not all the way through, but we will. The survival of Tika Adams. We have a Facebook and Instagram at Mama's Nightmare Pod where we'll post pictures from each of our episodes. Also, if you have any suggestions um, on cases you would like for us to cover, please email us at Mama's Nightmare Pod at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Alicia and Rhonda. And we hope you have nothing but sweet dreams. <laughs>